This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Father's Day, of course, I feel a little bit of an obligation to challenge the fathers, but I really want to challenge men in general, whether you're a father or not, and when I say man, I guess you'll have to make the decision whether you're in that category, because we got some young guys that are uh, age-wise probably could be um, counted as men, but, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with maturity and things like that. I'll leave that up to you. But I want to challenge men because men need to be challenged. And there are a lot of problems in the world. Now listen to this because I I really believe this and it's a strong statement. There are a lot of problems in the world um, that are created and perpetuated by all sorts of different people. Young people, old people, middle-aged people, male, female, and some that are qualifying themselves somewhere between that male-female realm, and I don't understand that, but it's going on. Um, but, but I'm going to say this, and again, strong statement, but I believe it. I think every bit of it goes back to the lack of obedience by men. Every bit of it. The entire, listen, the entire responsibility falls on men, 100%. That's not my idea. That's not my opinion. You actually find that in the Word of God. Uh, God created man, and as Dusty said in the wedding yesterday, the the first time God ever acknowledged that something was not good was when he looked at man by himself and said it's not good for you to be alone and he created a woman but he created man first and he laid the entire responsibility of humankind on the shoulders of the man first example of that is when the woman actually listened to the wrong voice caved into the wrong voice committed the first act of disobedience set the human race on a course for a lot of harm, pain, disaster, death. But when God came looking that evening, who did he call for? He didn't, he didn't call out and say, Eve, where are you? What have you done? He said, Adam, where are you? Whatever's going on here is Adam's responsibility. You can think that through and picture it in your head however you want to, whether it's that Adam was not paying enough attention to what was going on in his own two-person family, that Adam was okay with his wife carrying on long and detailed conversations with other guys, other influences, whatever the case may be. The responsibility fell on Adam, and the responsibility still right now 
falls on the men. So I got to challenge the men, and everybody in godly leadership these days should be challenging the men a lot. And so in the City of Refuge community, there's this heavy emphasis on what's going on with men right now. For many years, we focused on providing housing and programs for women and kids, and that's right, and it was appropriate, and it's good. And men were kind of viewed as, well, they're stronger, they, they can fend for themselves. If they're homeless, they're better suited, better equipped to get by than a woman, especially a woman that's, got, that's dragging some children along. <clears throat> but now there has been this shift, and it's, a lot of it's dictated by the problems we see in our culture um, that's happening with young people young people who are buying into and following a lot of false doctrine, a lot of false voices, a lot of lies, a lot of negative influences, we have to turn the focus toward what's going on with men because men are the ones who are supposed to be making commitments and supposed to be declaring the truth and is supposed to be exercising the right disciplines and supposed to be setting the right example and being the right models in front of young people. But we have a pandemic in the world that makes COVID-19 look like the common cold, and that is men who are producing children who are not being what those children need after the child arrives on this planet. That's, in my opinion, the biggest problem in the world. Like I said, it's a big statement, but I believe it. The irresponsibility of men is the biggest problem in the world. So let's see, you know, you can go to a lot of places in the Scripture to talk about men, to talk about husbands, to talk about fatherhood. <clears throat> and I'm going to choose... Uh, one of the most powerful statements of commitment in the Bible, and it's very common, but we're going to see what we can gain from it today that you might not have thought about before, and it's from Joshua chapter 24, two verses. Now fear the Lord, and this is Joshua talking. i got to set this in context. This is Joshua talking. So if you don't know about Joshua... Joshua is the man who led the children of Israel into the promised land after they had wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, So Moses led them out of Egypt, out of slavery where they had been for 400 years. Moses led them through the wilderness under a promise that there was a promised land over there for them to possess but because the people continued to live in patterns of disobedience, they took a trip that should have amounted to a few days and turned it into 40 years of wandering around in circles. And because of that, Moses was not allowed to lead them into the promised land. He was only allowed to take them to the precipice where they could see it but not go in, and then Moses died. Unfortunate. 
But his right-hand man was a man named Joshua, and he was given the assignment and the privilege of actually leading them in. But this chapter, chapter 24, is at the end of the book of Joshua, and this is also at the end of Joshua's life. So that's the context. He's talking now with only a very short time left to live. That's very important to know. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes. And Joshua says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But, now look, Every man in this room has a choice, just like every man everywhere has a choice. Joshua's indicating right here that you got a choice. Nobody can force you to do what you don't want to do. Okay? You can serve God, or you can serve some other God, or you can act like you're serving no God, but if you're serving no God, you're actually serving a God, and that God you're serving is yourself. So there is no such thing as just saying, well, I'm not going to serve that God y'all talk about. I'm just not going to serve any God. No, that's not, that, that, that just doesn't work. That's not the way it works. You are serving some God some way. So either you're serving the one true God or you pick some other gods, name them, whatever you want to call them, whatever they are, whatever they subsist of, right? But if nothing else you're serving yourself if you're not serving the one true God. And you have that choice. And Joshua says in verse 15, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, you see it on plaques on walls everywhere, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you for whatever reason that might be, then choose. For yourselves this day whom you will serve. But whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, whoever you want to choose to serve, go, go for it. Have a party. In whose land you are living, but, and here's his statement, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Why is it significant that Joshua is the one saying this? Number one on the list of significance is the fact, not that he's the leader of the Jewish nation, not that he's the guy who walked them into the promised land, not that he's an influencer, not that he has any wealth or power. The number one reason it's significant that he's saying this is because he is a man, he is a husband, he is a father. That's what sets the stage for everything else. You can take out the rest of it. You can take out his leadership position. You can take out his history of doing all the great things he's done. And you can just say this is a man, a husband, and a father who is making a statement. Y'all do what you want to do. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. I would... Frankly, number one, I'm extremely confused that many men who go to church, who have heard at some level the Word of God, 
who know some things about the Bible, who know some things about our faith, but they just don't stand up and make this kind of bold statement. They're just not willing to stand up and declare it. They're just, you know, you can be all the man in every other way that everybody looks at and says, wow, he's a man's man, isn't he? He does this, or he looks like that, or he's accomplished this, and he's got that going, and he's whatever, whatever, whatever. Listen, you are nothing but a weenie if you can't stand up and declare, I'm a man of God, and as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Period. Exclamation point. You have everything else going on in life that everybody looks at and admires. And if you're unwilling to say, I'm going to lead my wife and my children in the ways of the one true God, I got no respect for it. Because we see the results. We see the fallout. We see what's going on in our society. We see children who are wandering around confused because they don't have the proper godly male influences in their lives. He makes a commitment. He makes a statement. He's loud and bold. Joshua's not sitting around the table just with his own kin folks, just with his own little circle. He is talking to the nation. Listen to me. And we'll make it real clear for you. This is the only way it goes for me and my household. We will serve the Lord. And if you want to enjoy God's promises, you'll do the same thing. And the evidence is in, right? Because for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. Why? Because every time you turn around, they were choosing to serve some other god. The gods of the Amorites, the gods of the Amalekites, the gods of the Philistines, whoever. The, the going trend. What's the going trend? What's the thing that's cool right now? What's the thing that's popular? Let's jump into that. Let's be part of that. Let's see how that works for us. And it's always temporary, and it always inhibits our progress towards gaining the real full truth that God's trying to show us. He's, he, he's screaming in the last days of his life at the nation, here's how to get it right. Surrender yourself. God's got a plan. He's given you promises. It's actually pretty easy to get there and enjoy it. So, challenges right here, five of them. Number one, take a very quick, I should have put the word very in there. Take a very quick look back. Okay? If you read chapter 24 from verse 1. See, we picked it up at verse 14. If you read it from verse 1, from verses 1 to 13, what Joshua does is takes a quick look back. It's important to look back, but not to hang around there. Okay, but here's the power of looking back. I can look back and say, well, here's what I did in this situation, or here's what I said in that situation, or here's how I reacted in that situation, and here's the negative fallout that came from it. 
So I can learn something from that so that the next time I'm in a similar situation, I'll know to make a different and a better decision, and I won't have to experience and suffer the same fallout I experienced last time. Does that not make just a whole lot of sense? Just take a quick look back where we've been, how we've wandered around in the wilderness because we were full of our own ideas, <laughs> how we have forfeited the promises because we thought we had a better plan than God had. Just take a quick look back. That, that speaks for itself. Number two, repent. Look, if this doesn't precede the rest of it, then the rest of it will never work. The rest of it will never be legitimate until we repent for the way we did it wrong before. God does not entertain conversation with unrepentant people about the good they want to see come next. His response to that is, well, hang on a minute. Now, now we haven't really dealt with that yet, right? You want to come to me about what you want me to do for you now? And you haven't dealt with that? No, that's not the way it works. You know, one of my kids comes to me, and we've just recently had a situation where they've done something they weren't supposed to do. It's caused some problems. And now they want to ask me for favors. They want to ask me to pay for something. They want to ask me to sacrifice something on their behalf. Well, hang on a minute. Yeah, we might get to that, but we're not at that yet. Let's, let's go back and deal with this before we start talking about that. It's the same way God deals with us. And look, this is something you may not think about much. You may have never thought about it. Your repentance is for yourself, but your repentance should not just be for yourself. All through the Bible, go, don't take my word for it, go look it up. All through the Bible, when God's leaders repent, they never just repent for themselves. They always repent for their ancestors and their nation and their families. You say, well, I can't repent for somebody else's sins. Yes, you can. You can't make God forgive them for their sins because they at some point have to personally come. But your initial step to cry out in repentance to God based on what they did, and they may already be dead, and you still have an obligation to repent for what they did if they are your ancestors because you need to clean that slate, right? You need to make sure God knows that that, whatever that was, is cleared off in terms of your thinking, in terms of your motivation, in terms of your intentions. And that you now want to stand before Him not as part of that. You can't do anything about the bloodline, but you can do something about the disobedience. You don't stand before Him still carrying that stain of what they did in your life royal bloodline in terms of your relationship with him you clean that up father i repent for the disobedience of my ancestors i repent for the disobedience of my family and i repent for my own personal disobedience 
And God answers that. And it's a simple thing, and it requires that we drop our pride and we just make a bold statement of repentance. Number three, after we've repented, after we've evaluated, then we've repented, what do we do next? We commit. We commit. Now look, just don't commit stuff you're not going to do. Don't commit out of some momentary emotion, some persuasion from somebody. Just be a man and make a real commitment. A commitment that is solid, a commitment that is eternal. Do you hear any sort of wavering, any sort of flakiness, any sort of hesitation in Joshua when he says, you do what you want to do, but as for me and my household, we what? Will serve the Lord. It's a commitment. And look, as I said, who does he make that commitment in front of? Everybody. Every, hey, it's easy for me in my, in my library at home in the early morning hours by myself to commit something, either committing it to myself or committing it to God or committing it to other people, but the other people are not, not there to hear it. So doesn't that make it a little easier for me to sort of ease off of that commitment as time goes on? Because there's nobody to hold me accountable except God, and He's invisible. If I make a commitment to Mason, and next week I flop on my commitment, well, I got Mason to deal with. Because he was right there. He heard it. He can hold me accountable. He can challenge me on my commitment. Joshua was screaming it to the nation. We will serve the Lord. You can follow up. You can check me out. Follow my social media. Right? Follow me around one day. Two days, a week, a month, three years. Keep following. And you'll see that the commitment I made in front of you is still the commitment that's going on right now. Men, commit. Commit about what you're going to do individually and commit about how you're going to lead your family. And that takes us to number four, which is lead. Come on, get up, lead. You know, Everly the other day said something about going to Grammy's house. And I said, well, you know I own that house, right? And she said, you know how she is. She kind of looked up, sat there for a few seconds. She goes, well, Poppy, I know you paid for it, but Grammy's the boss of that house, just like my mommy's the boss of our house. <laughs> well, see, Sully and I are great husbands and fathers because we have a way of, of working it to where our women feel like they're the boss of something. But we know. Leadership. Listen, here's the point. 
Leadership is not about exerting some sort of control over people. As a matter of fact, that's terrible leadership. It's not even leadership. It's, it's a terrible attempt at leadership. Leadership is not about being the boss. It's not about, about being able to tell everybody else what to do and requiring that they do it. Leadership is methodically and humbly making good decisions, exacting the proper kinds of influences, being the right kind of role model, right? Making the right declarations and then following through with the declarations, being consistent, okay? So Tracy laughs and tells people about how when our kids were young, she said, there's no telling how many thousands of pounds of meat I have cut in my life. Because when our kids were young and we, you know, would have meat, pork chops, steak, ham, whatever it was, even weenies, hot dog weenies, I had to cut them for everybody. Because Tracy does, would not allow them to take a bite that was bigger than that. So I spend a lot of time walking around the table, cutting everybody's food before I got back to mine, which was then cold. So, well, look at pitiful Jeff having to walk around and cut everybody's meat and then being last to sit down to eat. I thought the man, listen, in the world I grew up in, the man, the father, the husband came in the room, in the kitchen or in the dining room and sat down at the table and was served his meal. And he got his food first. And when he got finished eating, he got up and walked away. So she cooked it, she prepared it, she put it on the table, and she cleaned up the mess when it was over. That's fine. That's, you know, culturally, I don't, you know, it's like... He'd been out slaving all day, so all right, fine. But I'll tell you also that there's absolutely nothing wrong with a man being in the kitchen working and serving. Nothing wrong with a man cleaning up. Nothing wrong with a man telling her, hey, I appreciate you so much for preparing this great meal for us. You go sit down and rest. I'm going to take care of cleaning this up. That's leadership. Leadership is showing your kids, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to cut your pork chop for you to make sure you don't choke on a piece that's too big, and I'm willing to make that sacrifice so that you're okay. I'm, I'm a protector, but I don't have to walk around telling you what kind of protector I am. I'm just going to exemplify through my actions every day what kind of protector I am. That's leadership. Lead. Don't be afraid to lead. And then this last one just hit me this morning. Write your own obituary and write it daily. I'm not talking about getting out a pen and paper and writing down what you want said at your funeral. But I'll tell you right now, I give cons significant and consistently consistent thought to what I want said at my funeral. I really do. Some people think, well, you shouldn't think about when you die and what all that's going to be. I think you should. 
Guys, I think you ought to be thinking about when you die. How's it going to be? What's that going to be like? What are people going to have to say about you when you die? Honestly, I've heard some of the best fiction in my life at funerals. Because you've got to think of something good to say, right? I mean, you can't profane the dead. You've got to honor the dead. But I've heard more lies in funeral services than anywhere else in my life. People have to make up stuff because there just ain't nothing good to say. They just make up all kinds of stuff as if it's going to make a difference now. You know, I, I don't want anybody, I, I want them to have to trim off a bunch of stuff because they don't have time to say all the good stuff about me. How in the world are we going to pack in all the wonderful stuff we have to say about this man in an hour-long funeral service? Yeah, you know, I'm good with them having a funeral for me that lasts like three or four days. All day long, just break and eat, cut the kids' meat up for them, and come back because there's more. Right? Well, I can want that all day long. But what is it that creates that? Not my desire that people have good thoughts about me or good memories or they learned some or they were influenced in a good way. No. It's what I'm doing right now. I'm writing my obituary right now. Last week... I mean, I literally almost had to have an obituary written last week because we worked so hard, we about died. My daughter, Kendall, will live out her days remembering and talking about what we did for her. And we didn't do it to try to impress anybody. We did it because we love her. We value her. We, we believe God is blessing the relationship she's in. We wanted to do it right. And when Kendall stands up to talk about me when I'm laying right up here, this is where we're going to do it. She's going to talk about that. And that's not all she's going to talk about. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just saying, listen, every day we're writing part of that obituary. What are they going to think about? What are they going to say? How are they going to feel? I want my kids to be absolutely destroyed that I'm gone, right? Because I was so important and so special to them. But I also want them to be filled with all this good stuff that just comes gushing out. Because I wrote that obituary every day. Right? And I make a lot of mistakes and I've done a lot of stupid things. But I want the good to be so overwhelming that they don't even remember that part. That's a real goal for me. Do enough good that it buries the bad so they don't think about the bad.
They don't have to try to figure out how to work their way through that part because there was so much good to talk about. You know? Now I think about it right down the line. See, I know what I want Wesley to say about me. I know what I want Jacob to say about me. I know what I want Kendall to say about me and what I want Sully to say about me and what I want JC to say about me and what I want Maddie to say about me and what I want Riley to say about me. And I know what I want Lydia and Benny and Nick and Harrison and whoever comes along otherwise to say about me. How am I going to make it happen? I got to write it. Just write it every day. And look, we had a party last night. Did we have a party? Now, I got to say, a lot of people partied, but there is nobody that parties like Brady Sullivan, do you? This dude danced forever and face blood red and sweating and he was still getting it. I want Brady to be partying about me. You know, missing me, but partying because of the good invested in him. Right? The good he saw. So, the challenge is before you. I'm going to say like Joshua said, you do whatever you want to do. But as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. And one day when I'm gone and people are talking about me, they're going to talk about that commitment. And then they're also going to talk about how that commitment was lived out. It wasn't just lip service. It was lived out. Right? And so... Every man in the room, that's the challenge to you. And remember, that look back is a quick look. And I just want to finish up with that because I want you to know that whatever dumb thing you did in the past and however that sits right now, don't live in the regret of that. Pick it up right now. Respond to the challenge. Do these things and you'll turn that corner little by little as time goes on, and you will write a beautiful obituary for yourself. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I bless you for being my father. I bless you for giving me a great earthly father. I bless you for making me a father. I bless you for family, both my biological family and for this great family of faith that we have here. And I pray your blessings over the fathers in the room. I pray blessings of clarity of thought, leadership, proper examples. I pray that those who may not have yet said, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, that they would do that because that's what their children need. It's what they need. It's what their children need. They need to hear it and they need to see it. And I pray that today we would all experience your fatherly love and that you would give us your Holy Spirit one more time and that your kingdom would come, your will would be done. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Bless y'all. Hope you have a great day. And you can give your tithes and offerings if you have them in the back.